Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This morning, we're going to begin a series leading up to Pentecost, uh, looking at Acts, the, uh, the reflections of Luke on the early church and how it got its start. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Gospel of Luke is part one of a two-part series, which includes Acts. Luke wrote, same author that wrote Luke, wrote Acts as kind of a sequel to uh, to uh, Luke's gospel. So it's like Star Wars and then the Empire Strikes Back, right? <laughs> is Acts. Uh, and Acts, in, uh, Acts per, uh, records the beginnings of the church and its expansion in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in this, in this time, that was Asia Minor and Europe were the ends of the earth. Uh, in Acts, we no longer see the bumbling, clueless disciples of the gospel story, but in Acts, the followers of Christ are empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit to live out the new and radical ways the kingdom of God are that Jesus proclaimed and the disciples now finally understand after the resurrection and in the light of Christ's glory. In today's passage, we have a perfect example of the radical understanding of the kingdom of God being lived out by the early church. The whole group, it says in here, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. The apostles were finally taking to heart all the things that they had heard Jesus say. Things like, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus also said to them, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or said, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, Jesus said. And Jesus also said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, or what you drink or what you about your body or what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothing to the rich young ruler jesus said sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me 
And Zacchaeus, on encountering Christ, gave half of everything he had to the poor and paid back those he had wronged four times. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man was calling across the chasm to Abraham not because he was wicked or evil or malicious, and Zacchaeus wasn't in at Abraham's side because he was such a great guy. He was across the chasm because he failed to take care of those who were needy, and the needy received justice. And finally, when Jesus reveals the reality of what it costs to be one of his followers, he states plainly, so therefore none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. It says it just like that. Luke 14.33. Look it up. Funny how I've always overlooked that. I've never noticed it plainly written that way so clearly. But Luke 14.33. So this is exactly what we are told the early church did. They lived out these things that Jesus talked about. They, they said, let's make a kingdom of God the way Jesus wanted it to be. They committed all that they had in order that they may be one and that there may not be any needy among them. They wanted to live out this vision Jesus gave them of what the whole world should be like. A place where there is not a needy person and where they are all one heart and soul. It's appropriate that we're talking about this when the young people are talking about hunger and they say to, uh, to you and me that there is no reason for people to be hungry, that there is plenty in the world for us to feed. It must mean that some of us are taking more than our share and that there are needy among us. All of this sounds a little unrealistic, doesn't it? And yet, this is what Christ calls us to over and over and over and over again. To live this kind of life. To live out this kingdom of God that He proclaimed that He showed us, that He lived out Himself, and that He died for, executed by the state for causing trouble. It sounds a little unrealistic. And Jesus Himself got it from His own faith ground, background. In this passage in Acts, we hear echoes of Deuteronomy 15.4, which is talking about the year of Jubilee. There will, however, be no one in need among you, because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession to occupy. Therefore, open your hand to the poor and the needy, says it in Deuteronomy. They've been talking about this for a long time. Or Isaiah 58.7, which in talking about what kind of worship pleases God, writes, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them? Is that not appropriate worship of God? We've been talking about this for a long time. Nothing new. So throughout the whole of Scripture, we are asked, we are told, we are urged, we are encouraged, we are cajoled, and we are outright commanded to live in a new way, a way that is counter to the rest of the world, to care for the needy, to not get trapped by our own possessions, to give with grateful hearts, and to be willing to commit 
all that we have to the things of God. And yet I don't think I'm the only one who struggles to see how one could possibly live up to the ideal community being presented to us at Acts. I overlook it. I, I, I avoid these Scriptures because they're challenging. It's a tall order. One of the difficulties, I think, that comes with talking about Scriptures like this is that it's really not about economics, and yet it is about economics. But if it were just about economics, then we'd be talking about communism. We'd be talking about something else. We'd be talking, having a conversation about ideology of economics. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about following Christ. Amen? And so it adds a whole other dimension to any conversation we have about economics. And the word in Greek for what the disciples are experiencing here that we read about in Acts is koinonia. It's a Greek word that doesn't really have a good English equivalent. Uh, Most often in your Bible, it is translated as community. But the heart of the word is deeper than the meaning that we give to the word community. Its roots, the root word means sharer. Or it can also mean companion or partner along the way. The concept of koinonia embraced a strong commitment to kalos kaagathos, meaning good and good, is what that literally means. Uh, In other words, but what they're getting at is an inner goodness toward one's own virtue and an outer goodness towards one's social relationships. It is this koinonia that the early church was aspiring to at the birth of the church. When they said in Acts 2, when it tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the communion and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. They broke bread in their home and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. That is koinonia. That is good and good. That is partnering and communing together. It's what Martin Luther King Jr. called the blessed community and the one that he, his prophetic voice aspired to in our world today. And it is at the heart of what it means to be a church. Koinonia is what the church aspires to. However, today, it can, always, it can often feel as though the dream of koinonia is very far off seems just a a crazy ideal and we might even question whether the disciples really lived this way or if this is just Luke idealizing the past. The picture being drawn for us here can seem impractical and unrealistic. And I question whether that's true, that it's impractical or unrealistic, but I understand where that comes from. But I've heard about people and have known people who have sold all they had and lived in communities where they held everything in in common. People do it. Some have done it badly, but those who do it in the hope of koinonia seem to not regret it. 
And so if what you are hearing today is that Pastor Curtis is telling you to sell everything and give it to the poor, I, I, I guess I would say to that, there are worse things to get out of this sermon today than sell everything you got and give it to the poor. But that's not really what I'm getting at necessarily. At the heart of this passage, it's less about the action and it's more about the attitude that produces the action. It's not so much that they sold everything and gave it to the poor. That is generosity. Giving to the poor is out of, out of our own possessions. That's generosity. That's charity. That's giving because uh, we have the stuff to give. And it, you know, it can come out of altruism. It can come from a good place. But that's generosity and charity. In Acts, we are not given a picture of generosity. We are not given a, a picture of, of uh, charity. Generosity holds ownership and it depends on one's being willing to give out of their own wealth. But we're encouraged not to give out of our wealth, but to give out of our faith. It is the attitude of first being one heart and one soul and not even counting their possessions as their own. When people are of one heart and one soul, it's not a sacrifice to give to care for one, one who is needy or to acknowledge that. It's the normal response to the need and a natural thing to do. As natural as breathing. When the Holy Spirit is at work and when we are of one heart and one soul, it's a very natural thing to do. To give away those things that we call possessions for the for the better of everyone else. I heard another preacher tell a story about a guy who was washing his Cadillac out in his driveway one day. And this young man comes by and admiring the car, he says, man, that sure is a nice car. Where did you get that car? The man looked up at him and he thought for a minute and then he says, it is a nice car. And actually, my brother gave it to me. The young man was amazed. Wow. He's says to him, I, he says, I bet you wish you had a brother like that. He says, no, actually I was thinking how great it would be to be a brother like that. To give a, someone a car, to give my, my brother a car. How great that would be. See, that's a different attitude that doesn't fit the paradigm of this world, but comes from a very different world. And that's the kind of attitude that doesn't see possessions as something to hold and dole out when we're feeling generous but sees our possessions as something to be used of God it is the attitude and the perception that is key it's knowing that when one in the community hurts we all hurt when one is sick we are all sick when one is in need then we are right there to address that need because we are all in need at that moment. The other thing the early church did is to stop seeing those things they possessed as something they owned, but instead committed all of it to the kingdom of God. Not even holding back. Some selling all that they had to help those who had nothing. Here's another car story. <laughs> a man lived near this older woman down the street. And she was a widow, lived alone, and she had this older car that had seen better days. And it had problems all the time. Well, this, this man up the street 
would go and spend some time on the weekends fixing the car, uh, you know, trying to keep it runnable and safe. And uh, he knew a bit about cars. And then one day he was looking at the new Ford Fairmont in his own driveway. Now, that tells you how old this story is, right? The old Ford Fairmont uh, sitting in his driveway. And he thought to himself, you know, if that car broke down while that lady was driving down the street, she'd be in a world of hurt. She doesn't know what to do or what if the tire blew out or all of that. She wouldn't know. And, you know, I could give her my new car that's much safer, much more reliable. And I can take her car. I I know how to work on it. I know what's wrong with it. I know that car. Uh, And that, you know what? That makes a lot more sense. And so, you know, he figured he's working on it every weekend anyway. Might not have it in his driveway. So he drove to her house. He handed her the keys and he signed it over to her and he took her old jalopy in exchange. He had to talk her into it, but they exchanged cars, fair and square, straight across. What a great story about this. But this guy was not feeling generous. In fact, what he did made absolute practical sense. But only if, like the disciples, you do not feel that you have ownership. Only if you are seeking koinonia. Only if you live in the kingdom of God, not in this world we live in now. Her car is broken and she can't fix it. I can. Let's swap cars. That makes perfect practical sense, doesn't it? Unless you live in this world where what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and if I do it right, what's yours will be mine pretty soon too. Right? That's the world we live in. But Jesus came and said, no, that isn't the world we want. We want a different kind of world. A world where we watch out for one another. We take care of one another. Where there is no needy. Where out of our abundance, out of our abundance that God has given us, we give to those who need. And those who are in need give back in many ways. And we are of one heart and soul. What a pipe dream. But it's the dream that Jesus came for. It's the dream that Jesus died for. And it's the dream that gave birth to the church. The same church that you and I have inherited. The same church from which you and I have benefited And the same church that is called and empowered and given the Holy Spirit to transform the world we live in today. It's been 2,000 years. Not a lot has changed, but we're moving that direction. But it's up to us to carry the flame of that Spirit and the desire and the longing for koinonia forward. For me, this is what it's about. What I am going to enjoy about studying Acts is that it will challenge us not to just hear the words of Christ, but show us what it is to live out the words of Christ. It is my prayer that we continue to be stretched together as we seek to also be 
of one heart and soul. Let us pray. Loving God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, You have blessed us that we might bless others. May You give us new eyes to see the world we live in. May You give us new attitudes about those things we have and the opportunities that are given to us. We invite You into every corner of our life to stretch us, to help us grow, and to make us better disciples of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.